0: What's up, everybody? This is TJ Reed, and you are listening to Vitamin Lead Your Healthy Dose of Leadership. We are on a mission to help you develop consistency, a thriving career, and to find company for the journey as a leader. Join us and leaders from over 300 cities around the world as we now dive into Vitamin Lead Your Healthy Dose of Leadership. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Vitamin Leads, your healthy dose of leadership. I'm your host, TJ Reed, and I am so excited today to have my guest, Fred Ashman. Fred, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing terrific. Glad to be with you.
0: Yeah, Fred, man, I am ecstatic to talk with you. You have such a rich story. I even read that you were the opening band for Stevie Wonder early on in your career. And I know that I couldn't do your story justice. So why don't you just take a moment and just tell us a little bit about your story?
1: Well, I had goals uh, in seventh grade. They had a teacher who does that, what a, like an aptitude test. But it's really, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And I had written goals. And one was to be an audio engineer. Hmm. Another was to be a professional trumpet player, musician. Another was to be a TV director. Another one was to be a pilot. Well, I started recording uh, various high school bands when I was still in high school. Wow. for a recording company that did high school bands and then i went on to do mixing for all the groups of the late 60s early 70s during early years of college i turned pro as a musician at 16 and i uh, had my own band at disneyland and that's when we did uh, one of the one of the shows for uh, stevie we were the opening act but we really played a lot of the main stages at disneyland as a guest rock group on the main stage and did a lot of gigs around and I got to play the studios a little bit, looked around and saw that there were so many really great trumpet players, way better than me. I was pretty good, but oh, there's guys in LA that just blow your socks off. Yeah. And so I was already starting to pursue my real dream, which was the television directing.
0: Hmm.
1: I directed my first television show through a junior achievement program at a local TV station with live bands and, and everything and a live show on broadcast on the uh, ABC uh, affiliate. And that was when I was 18 years old through Junior Achievement. So I've always been in all these things from a very young age. And uh, then I, after college, started my production company and it grew and grew and I still was staying with the music. And then uh, I started having to travel back and forth to Disneyland while I was still doing the band and started the production company at the same time. So it became a time machine. That's how I learned to fly. And then my one of my first production clients was Western Airlines at Los Angeles International. Okay. So I was still a student pilot, and I would fly to my meetings in a twin-engine plane as a student pilot with my instructor. And that's how I would do meetings up there and get back to San Diego because I never really wanted to live in L.A.
0: Yeah. So I
1: just went from there, and then I ended up uh, with a William Morris agent in L.A. and met with the heads of uh, some of the big uh networks at the time. And let's just say I walked out of a meeting with NBC who wanted to buy my show that I was pitching with a guy from uh, William Morris. But he said, we love your concept. I'll give you 20 grand for it, but you can't be a part of it. I said, what do you mean? I I came here to direct it. I'm a young director. I'm, you know, and I came in with this whole package. We have stars attached to it and everything. He says, yeah, I know, but we don't need the stars. Uh, we just want the concept and we'll give you 20 grand. And I said, but I want to be a part of the production somehow. I mean, I, if you won't let me direct it, I'll at least I'm a co-producer. Yeah. He says, no, no, you're too young. You can't do any of this. He says, look, kid, if you want a job, uh, you could be a job as a page. Well, that was like giving you the finger. Yeah. And I looked at my agent, he rolled his eyes, and I said, you can't have it. Yeah. And the agent said, well, there's money on the table. Do you want it or not? And I said, no, I'd rather it never be produced than to have you guys take it and turn it into the same piece of junk you do every year.
0: Yeah. And,
1: it's, which is what he, and he said, well, that's what we're going to do, but, <laughs> but I'll still give you money for it. And we walked out and my agent said, Fred, I've never seen that in Los Angeles before ever. Mm. And I said, what's that? He says, integrity. Mm. And that's when I walked away from the whole LA scene and I've done some work for Universal and some other places up there through the years. And every time I come home and I talk to my wife and I said, that's why I didn't go to L.A. Because mm. it's I just walk away and I have a lot of friends who are very successful in L.A., but they all say it's just this hard environment and you can't trust anybody. Yeah. Well, I've done in the corporate world huge things. And I had people like American Airlines, NCR, Learjet, all these other clients for 20, 30, 35 years in a row for wow. all their big work, not the little stuff, the big stuff. Yeah. But we did. And it was a ball. I got, I got more creative freedom than the Hollywood director and producer ever has. Yeah. It was great.
0: That's awesome.
1: So that's what? where I am.
0: So I, I love that idea of integrity. Why do you think it's so tough uh, in LA to, to find that, to have
1: that? Because a lot of the people simply don't have it. They hmm. they they can't be trusted. If they can uh, cheat you on a deal, they will. Hmm. Uh, it's just, not everybody up there, but the people I met in uh, positions of authority, and I, I've had two pilots that I was involved in and in, I was running and uh, produced, picked up, greenlit, by, one by Discovery and another by uh, the uh, Fox Entertainment Channel. And both of them, Said, yeah, we're gonna go. It's it's done. It's we're sending the contract. So on and so forth. In the case of discovery, they was supposed to. They said be in production in 90 days. Can you do that? I said, yeah. And it was a series. Yeah. They loved it. And then I didn't get a contract. And I called. They said, oh well, she's no longer with the company. The VP. And all of her all of her uh, projects are canceled. I said, well, can I talk to the person who took over? It says, no, he has no desire to talk to you done quarter of a million dollars later of my money's gone too yeah uh and then Mm. uh, the exact same thing happened over at uh the fox channel except i didn't invest a ton in in we just had our our money into the development of the concept and they based on the concept and the and the uh people that i had attached to it who they really liked We're network people uh in terms of hosts and such for the show same thing the guy a week later he's gone hmm all of his contracts are, are gone. So, you know, after about the third time you get burned, you yeah. say, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I'm yeah. losing my ass. <laughs> yeah. So, so that I, I just really focused on the corporate and I ended up doing some IMAX films and doing big documentaries and all sorts of things. But it was based on integrity. And the integrity part is if you say you're going to do something, do it. Yeah. If something screws up, take ownership of that and fix it. Yeah. And and it's been proven uh, in a lot of industries that if your company does uh, makes a mistake, and but and, but fixes it really really well, yeah. Your customers will remember how good you were at fixing it more than they remember that it, you did it right in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and that's. I learned that from Mike Gunn at American Airlines. He mm. was talking about if you, if we lose a bag, how well we get it and get it to you and communicate with you will mean more to that customer than if you never lost the bag and you'll have a more loyal customer because of it.
0: True. Yeah, I, I, I've i definitely seen that played out in my own uh, customer service experiences. That's, that's oh, yeah. true, that's good. So you you started a multi million dollar production company before the age of thirty. What's like? What's one of the best lessons you learned in those early days that you've kind of carried with you since then?
1: Well, I wish I had more accounting background before I started. Okay. Just now, I we in college, I I was in essentially film school, TV, attending a state university, but I took as an elective, Introduction to Business Law, that course was so great it was was really wonderful because it it just gave you the basic stuff that you need to know there wasn't anything in accounting because if you go into accounting then you're just into numbers 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 and they're preparing you for an accounting career i needed accounting for dummies and because i (laughs) didn't know me too probably (laughs) well i didn't know what accrual accounting was i didn't even know that there was such a thing i didn 't know what depreciation was or why it w- works, and I had no idea how to look at uh, your, your spreadsheet and your uh, p and l and to actually read it and to know what i 'm looking at. Yeah. I do now, but yeah. I ended up hiring uh, small accounting firms, and then finally, I had a full-time accounting person who joined the company and, and actually was my, one of my, my key guy uh, for all the years. Hmm. In terms of the growth, the growth came from referrals. Referrals are the lifeblood of especially a personal service business.
0: Yeah.
1: Even a doctor, it's all about referrals. Yeah. Uh, in the production business, you're only as good, like a, as a musician or whatever, anybody, you're only as good as your last gig. Yeah. You're only as good as what results you can deliver. And in, in my business, it's delivering messaging that touches the hearts of people, as well as uh, intellectually stimulating them with a message that is, that works. Uh, And we've mostly dealt with internal audiences. Many cases we're doing, well, we did a a big show for uh, NCR all over the world every year, one or two. Um, Sydney, Bangkok, hawaii multiple times miami uh rio de janeiro uh, literally everywhere But one uh show that we did we had uh in barcelona spain 200 dancers 50 piece live orchestra doing original scores of a lot of cover tunes and such but it was all for both a daytime business meeting and a nighttime show Hmm. uh and we got standing ovations and rave reviews for all of these things and we did similar shows to that multi-million dollar things with several million dollars worth of videos originally produced for that and then for product reveals and things later all as a part of that and we did those 37 years in a row for those guys
0: wow we, we we were talking about beforehand about the importance of kind of like looking through the eyes of your audience like seeing things through the eyes of your audience how, yes. how do you how do you do that like when you're in all these various cities around the world how do you make sure that you're seeing it true to where those people are
1: well in those cities around the world we're always for a fixed audience of in case of ncr their top sales and service people from all over the world okay. about anywhere from three to five thousand at a time okay. And then they fly them in and this is this big trip. One of the things that I learned early on in, in that process, I always used to think when I first started, these are, they, they call them motivation meetings. Okay. They're not motivation meetings. These are motiva- this is They have to ha- have done 110% of quota to even get to go on the trip. Okay. These are highly motivated people. Sure. Now, the trip to an exotic place is motivation, but what we're in our message is not about motivation at all. It took me a few years to figure this out. And I finally talked to my bosses there and I said, you know, these aren't motivation meetings. He said, yeah, they are. And I said, no, these are retention meetings for Mm. your best employees. Mm. And even the boss I was working for, uh, really smart guy, really good. He says, I never really thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right because these are the best of the best. And they're the ones that are the quickest to pick off, and these top salespeople probably are responsible for ninety percent of our, or seventy-five or eighty percent of our sales, and ninety percent of our profit. Yeah. So they're subject to being recruited by others. So you got to tell stories that show them that this company is really cool, is really good to work for, and is growing, and you have a future and a growth. Pattern that you or a path you can follow. So that's why the stories had to be not about what you did last year or what we expect you to do next year. That's right. that's that's just a quota set. This is about the things about the company that you don't know that you ought to know because this is very cool.
0: Hmm. So, how do you do a good job of kind of that? Uh, another thing we talked about earlier was like that internal branding, like within a company. Like, how do you do a good job of making sure of that internal branding?
1: Uh, it's it sounds kind of easy for you. You want to capture what the company is about in the style of you know, the videos and the and the, the, the things that you do, but you also want to uh, capture stories that they didn't know about for a good example was at ncr and i had this with Bridgestone tires and some other places too where well you don't i we don't want you to talk to our research people or our or our chief scientist or anything like that we can tell you this stuff and then i finally got an interview with the chief scientist one year and he says uh well people don't know this because they think that our company is an applied science company. They did, had no idea that we do pure science. I says, so what are you doing? He says, well, and at the time the Cray was the fastest computer in the world. Okay. He says, we just did it, We just invented and made it work for the first time anywhere parallel, massive parallel processing that is 100,000 times faster than a Cray. Wow. Pure science. And, I put that story in there and you, you could hear a gasp from this huge audience going, oh my God, we had no idea. Hmm. My boss had no idea at, at NCR, that, the guy that hired me. And they gave us tremendous creative freedom. So we were able to dig in and find out things. And, uh, and so if you provide solutions and you under, start to understand what are the problems that, yeah. the, that the people in your audience are having, And how do I fix that? That is the, that's the guts of the story. Then you wrap it up into, with some really nice video and and B-roll and you tell these stories in an entertaining way. Disney was a great uh, at doing that. I don't know if you ever saw any of the old Disney nature films. Oh yeah. And they were, they were never the boring, well, this is a documentary about the rhinoceros, you know, none (laughs) of that. It was yeah. funny, funny music and great pictures, but they weaved in the the story into that. So everything is entertainment yeah. first and education second. So you're having fun as you're getting educated.
0: That's so good. Um, I think you were saying before that like one of the things that has made you really successful was that you surrounded yourself with people that are better than you at certain things. Can you talk about that? Because I think it's something, even just this week on social media, we had some people saying that that was a tough lesson they had to learn as a leader. Um, Can can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, uh, that really started uh, in music and in bands. Uh, I learned that young and early. Uh, So, you know, if you've got a, a band, you want the best players you can get. And another piece of that at the same time that I was learning was audiences. We played at Disneyland and every set the audience changed because we were on the main stage there. We normally had, you know, 500 to 1,000 people in front of us. But they come, it ebbs and flows. Yeah. And some of them are dancers, some of them are just want to see a concert. Yeah. So you have to be able to change the songs and the sets based on the body language of what you're seeing out there. Wow. And, and that's part of it. So you surround yourself with better players. Every time I played in a recording session, I got to play one recording session with one of the legendary trumpet players of all time at the time. And my play... Who
0: was that? My, my remember, dad loves trumpet players, so I'm sure he's well, going to listen to this.
1: Well, he was, this is a guy who played with Connie Candoli and, and all these others. His name was Shorty Chirac.
0: Okay.
1: I, and I got to play a session with him. Wow. And uh, he was a first-call studio guy. So okay. getting to play a session with this guy is... I played second trumpet. He played first and, uh, we had a third and we're doing this recording session. And I got to tell you, just being beside somebody that good, my playing came up and I noticed yeah. that when I, I directed a feature film and I had a veteran character actors like, uh, Jonathan banks, mm-hmm. when I put him on set with some other actors, very good actors, but not at his level, they came up, mm-hmm. uh, and and that was what I found with all these people. And then in my own business, it started to be, it's a team art. So it's more than one person can do. So I would surround myself with people. I always had be- people who could edit better than I could, Yeah, uh, manipulate the equipment. I find, I'm finding one who could not only manipulate the equipment, but to, would edit it the way I would have edited it had I had the time Yeah, because that your time is so precious. The edit room takes forever. And so that was one of them. I also had to get other directors to come in because there was more things going on than I could direct all of them. Sure, I still did the majority of the writing and the producing, uh, but I had to have producers who handled all those other things. So I'd hire people who were better at that thing than me. And it really started one of my first uh, directing assignments when I was the uh, first time I ever got to direct on a Hollywood big stage. And I got to know the manager of the guy who owned the, the the building and the facility that they were there. The Merck Griffin show was taped in the same facility. Okay. So, so I got in touch with the guy in advance and told him, I said, you know, I'm renting the the stage for a day and I've got to do this shoot. And it's fairly complicated. It's three cameras and all that. He says, okay. And I said, I need you to help me get some really good guys because I know it's notorious in Hollywood. Some of the union guys can tear up a young director pretty good. Sure. Uh, and I said, I just need good guys. He says, oh, I know exactly who to get for you. So I came in and they were just finishing a Maybelline commercial. So mm-hmm. I picked them up this crew up at noon for the first day and then I had them a whole second day. And I kind of hid the background during this Last part of this commercial, and they had over, run over for a couple of days, and they had this woman from New York who was screaming at everybody the whole time. The the client from the agency, I mean, she was hell on wheels, not a nice person, <laughs> and the crew was acting accordingly, just going along, and they were not mm. moving real quick. So I sent uh, somebody up to the uh, the Brown Derby where they were having lunch. Uh, my one of my assistants and Said go up there and pay for their lunch. Hmm. And when they come down, tell you know, tell us who it's from. And they came in and I sat them all down. I said, Well, you guys have really had to deal with some shit for the for the morning. <laughs> and it, they yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks for lunch, man. And and what what can we do for you, kiddies? I said, I'm directing this. And you guys are all really seasoned pros. So as I'm doing this, I want to tell you right now, I give you permission. A matter of fact, I'm asking for you to be able to stop the production at any minute and say, no, no, do it this way. It'll be better. Yeah. Yeah. And they did. And
0: mm-hmm. it
1: turns out that the, uh, the guy who was my technical director on it, uh, sort of the leader of the tech crew, was uh, the same guy who did the Academy Awards. Okay. And the, the camera guys were like network top, top guys. And they were so wonderful. And, uh, but I treated them really well. I knew what I wanted. I knew what to do. I was competent, sure. but I surrounded myself with people who were better.
0: Yeah. And
1: man, they made the thing. This is the simple little industrial video, sparkled. Yeah. And and I've always tried to do that. So you you look for the people who can bolster what you're doing. I did the same thing when I hired directors to work for me. I and I but I found a lot of them would get off on tangents and they would forget about the audience they started I'm a director I'm doing my thing no no you're you're supposed to be telling a story that works well I'm going to do it my way and I said no you're going to do it your way but within my parameters yeah and they everything that they worked on with me made my work better yeah and and between us uh, with my staff, we had normally a, a complete staff with all the support and, and backroom and everything of about, oh, f- 13, 14, up to as much as 30. 30 wasn't fun, too many people to, uh, to deal with. Yeah. But the, the small team, we, were, we won over 120 major awards. And mm-hmm. I won a lot of them, but my team, I wouldn't have won them without the team. Right. An orchestra is only as good as the orchestra. Right. The conductor is important. But you got to have an orchestra.
0: Yeah. I, I think something that I'm hearing there when you're talking about this, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's almost like when when you have somebody better, there also has to be kind of like a dose of uh, like mutual respect and humility that kind of comes from that person or else if they're better, that, that just doesn't work. Maybe that lady from New York thought she was better, but uh, it didn't make anybody better because there wasn't like some mutual respect or humility
1: there. Right. And she was, uh, she was just one of these dicta dictatorial type types through.
0: Yeah.
1: She's not just fun. She's not fun to be around. Yeah. And I try to be fun to be around. I keep the sets light. When I finished, uh, working, when I was working on the feature film with Jonathan Banks, we shot in six hours, what it normally, he, he told me, he says, you just shot in six hours, what it would normally take us two to three days hmm. or t- two days easy. Yeah. Uh, and And he said, and it was fun. Everybody here, your director of photography, your whole crew was was terrific. And we had a a big crew and about 30 extras in the scene. I mean, it was a big scene and all that, but just went through it. And he was so good that if I got it on the first take, we would only do one more take because it was filmed as a safety. Sure. But I said, that's it. We got it. And he said, one take? I said, could you do it better? He says, I'm doing the same. I said, well, we don't need it. And at other times it would be, okay, let's do it again, but let's try it this way. And could you give me a little more of this, a little more of that, but you're not teaching. It'd be like a college coach going to the pros. Mm-hmm. Now you're, you're just doing nuance and coaching as opposed to teaching so much. Yeah. And the better the pro, the less you have to do things and then you just let them blossom and they make what you are setting up to do better. And that's what a good leader does is you set these things up. And I learned a lot from my clients. I had some really good clients. Mike Gunn at American Airlines, who, when I started, he was the general sales manager. And by the time he retired, uh, he was uh, executive vice president of the company. Wow. but I became his go-to guy to solve things.
0: Hmm.
1: And, and he told me once, he said, you've captured the, the heart and the spirit of this airline better than anybody I've ever seen doing videos and, and events for us. Hmm. Well, good, that's what I'm supposed to do. And yeah. that's what I have so much fun doing. And it's the music is such a key to all of this because that's what gets your heart going.
0: Yeah. Music, music can kind of enter in ways that other things can't. It's yeah. That's so good. So yeah. you, 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 you've done like aerial footage. Are, are you like the the type of person when you see like a, an American airlines plane going through the sky, like from a distance, like you, you shot that type of stuff as well.
1: Uh, yeah. We did a lot of air to air okay. uh, and uh, I have some videos for you that uh, you can put into this and, and make it, so people understand one of the one of the assignments was to make a video about the company and all of the different pieces because all the vertical silos aren't working well together yeah. both at the se- senior management all the way down the line we work in reservations yeah we work in we're flight attendants well we're the pilots well we're the mechanics well we're the ground service people you know and they all had all these complaints about everybody else if these guys did their job it would be easier for us you know and so nobody knew what the other the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing so Hmm. the the challenge was to make a video that started at the major management meeting and then would go to the sales meeting and go all the way out to the various group meetings throughout the organization globally Hmm. that would Sorry. That's okay. Um, so it would go out globally to everybody all over the world. And it, uh, the real challenge was the stories that they had to tell were great. But how do you get the pilots to watch it? Yeah. The pilots are an independent group. Everybody else can get, you can bring them together in a meeting and show it on a big screen. That's the other thing. Uh, this using Skype or Zoom or anything else for these kind of meetings is really not good. Because people are just watching this meeting, and it's on a small screen. They're at their desk. They're doing other things. They're not captured. If you have them in a big room, and you have a big screen and big sound, and it gets dark, you're 100% attention. Hmm. And you can do so much more in terms of getting an emotional response, which is what you want along with the, the Uh, visual. But even if you're on a small screen, you wanted something that is so compelling that they want to watch it. So what are you going to do with the pilots? Because they only come in in groups of three or four or five and go to their simulator training and they're all doing recurrent training. They're not interested in watching videos. They they just don't give a damn. Right. (laughs) So yeah, we we pilots are a pretty independent group and I wasn't a commercial pilot, but I'm a pilot. So I understand. So (laughs) I'm going there's only one thing that's going to get them to all to do this, but it's going to, and they gave me a million dollars to make this video. So mm. I, I can, I have the resources to make it work, but I need you to give me four airliners with a crews who are properly trained to fly formation. And we're going to fly some formation stuff, some really good formation stuff and fly around it the Learjet and put it in this video. Mm. They will, the word of, mouth among the pilot community you gotta see this video gotta see this flying oh my god so uh these i went to mike with that and he says well that sounds pretty cool but you're gonna have to go convince the chief pilot that it's safe and you can do it Hmm. so i went and had a conversation with the chief pilot and i i never met this guy i'd met the previous chief pilot but not this guy he's he's new and uh these these pretty tough tough executives so i walk in and lay it out to him he says well Who's gonna Who's gonna fly the lair? And I said uh, it would be either Scott Patterson or Clay Lacy, uh, the two two of the best movie pilots in the world. And they had already seen what I'd done in the IMAX films, where I did a whole bunch of aerial work. Sure. So he goes, Okay, okay. He says, Oh, by the way, is that your uh, Mitsubishi MU2 uh, turboprop down there at the at the DFW in the private terminal? He says. I said, Yeah. How do you know? He says. I'm the chief pilot, I know everything. <laughs> so anyway, so I had the credentials. He liked what the idea was. Then he says, how are you gonna get the airplanes? I hmm. said, I've already talked to the VP of operations. I've been doing their work for 15 years at that point. Yeah. So he says, he'll, he said he'll get me the airplanes, but if I can get the pilots and get your permission. Yeah. He says, okay. And then we got pilots who had uh, weekend warrior kind of guys who were okay. still flying jets in formation f- for the military and being line pilots for Americans. So that was all set. Then we got the airplanes and we did it. Uh, we just did the formation stuff and we ended up with Three, not four, because one of the planes we had was called their spare out of Chicago, sure. and, the, and a plane on a regular flight had a mechanical, so they had to pull the spare and use it, so I just had three. I had a 777, 757, and seven three seven, and they 're flying around in formation and uh, uh, well you 'll have the video and you can show the video, please, yeah so that was all cool, and then it was all done, and I had pictures of everything made up and signed by all the pilots, and I mean big pictures, like the big kind you hang on a wall, had them framed, and sent one to the vice chairman, who was a guy I had known for a long time, never really worked for him, but he's a really good guy, so we knew each other, um, but he called me up, and here is the vice chairman of the board calling me, and he starts reaming me out. He says, who signed the ops orders for that plight? I didn't know who signed the app, so actually I knew that no one did. They all assumed somebody else did. (laughs) So right away he's he's in my face about and and who approved this for this? I said, Well, the chief pilot and you know, Mike and so on. He he says, but who approved the the operation of this and, and the spending of all this money and all that? And I, well, I, and, and he, I didn't even get a chance to answer. And he starts into the next thing. And he's really, oh, what about the safe? Do you realize what could have happened? It could have tanked our airline. And he's really given me the bad time. And and then, and then he says, and and you'd never even called me. Ah, that's what it was. He was giving me the business. And I said, oh, okay, Bob, That does that mean that, you want to fly in the Lear with us, or do you want to fly in the airliner next time? He says, "Oh, I'll I'll fly in the airliner, jump seat."
0: <laughs> he was, yes, you got to the heart of it.
1: Oh, oh but he he was, it, it scared me at first because here's a guy who's always been nice, and he I mean he put me on a calls like a like a <laughs> DI. <laughs> so anyway, that happened. But the what what was great about it, it was a real uh, effective. Piece that we did. The pilots all wanted it, and they wanted it so badly that the chief pilot had us come in and we made a special version of the, that same video, but it had a bonus feature on the DVD. They had to sell the DVDs. We had to put up a site and sell the DVDs, all these pilots, for them and their friends. And we took all the takes and the outtakes about how we did the entire shoot. So you had the main video about the company, and then you had this whole aviation thing that was about. 15 minutes long of grade eight shooting and how we did it and the communications, the whole thing. So it got to the pilots far better than they ever expected. That's the problem solution kind of thing. And talk about internal branding because internal branding is is about pride. I feel good about my company. I am proud of what we're doing. And in this particular video, people had no idea how this group was doing all these things and the company was providing the the money and the leadership to make that happen The same time over here. And for the pilots, we had a whole thing about uh, preventative wind shear, predictive wind shear, which is brand new then with Mm. their Doppler radar and everything on board to avoid wind shear accidents. Uh, And we had a whole demo of that in the, uh, in a simulator that was completely real. And in the first one, they actually, Were had to freeze it because they could not. They gave them a a wind shear they couldn't escape. Oh no! They would have crashed. Yeah. And then they showed how the preventative wind shear gets them out of that in advance. And and those kinds of things were there for the pilots and new airplanes. And then all the other departments all had them, so everybody knew what everybody else was doing. It it worked.
0: Hmm. That helps them. um, Yeah, I'm sure uh, understand each other better in the organization and stuff.
1: Yeah. And uh, one of the things Mike said to me, too, was that uh, I didn't know it at the time, but he said, the things that you have done for my group, the videos and everything else, have actually helped my career. Hmm. So as an executive, if you're the one hiring a creative team to do something, you need to find somebody that can deliver the results for you. That was the key to this success. And there's a lot of people... Who are just as good or if not better than me at that out there but there's they like needles in the haystack because there's thousands of people who are filmmakers right. there aren't that many who are really good communicators on using the the media and understand story and understand how to reach an audience yeah which is which is actually why i wrote the book about Advocate for the audience because you started this with how did you build up to so quickly? Yeah, it was problems and solutions, but understanding how to get into the other person's shoes really, really important.
0: Yeah, well, let's let's talk about your book here in our last moments. Here, your book is called Advocate for the Audience. Um, talk a little bit about that and what people can find as they pick up that book.
1: Well, it's it's really a this is aimed at the uh, producer, director, the small company, uh, who's aimed at a smaller market who wants to grow. And mm-hmm. it's how, how, how did you grow? How did you get these giant companies? And how did you keep them for all these years? And there's a lot of big, big companies. And I put that into a series of true stories. They're almost like case studies. Okay. And, w- and what I learned, and there's lessons learned. Oh, and, I got, and when I got my teeth kicked in, that's in there too. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's all about that sort of thing. It, it's available at my website right now. I haven't put it on Amazon yet because uh, right now, if I sell them and, and deliver them, I actually make a little bit of money on an Amazon. You make about 10 cents, you know, <laughs> instead of five bucks each. But I really did it. And so because, what's, your, what's your
0: website that they can find? Oh, out?
1: Fred at Fred Ash or just Fred com. Okay. Great. Fred, Fred Ashman.com. And the whole point was I had a lot of these pros to really help me when I was young, starting in the business. And this is also a way since i am re semi-retired to pay it back. Yeah. I say semi-retired cause I did direct 10 episodes of a series as part of my retirement. <laughs> and then, uh, i am just, I'm signing a contract, uh, within the next 48 hours that, uh, is a project I thought was dead. They hired me to do it early development, and now they brought me back to uh, they give me a big piece of the comp- production company. And uh, I am the executive producer on the creative side, and also they've hired me to direct the uh, pilot. And if it gets picked up, at least the first four episodes of a new musical variety network series. And
0: Exciting! Congratulations.
1: I'll have more on that later. But we got to get through the next phase. This phase, they. write me a nice check and uh, I've got a lot of work to do, but retirement is, 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 this is so much fun. I mean, mean, what, what gets better? You you take all your passions and you put it in there and say, I'm getting paid to do this shit. This is great.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Fred, um, I've, I've been so grateful for your stories with us today and for the leadership lessons. Thank, thank you for sharing the times you got your teeth kicked in so that others <laughs> don't have to learn from the same mistakes, right?
1: Well, we try to do that. In thought leadership, there's a lot of different topics in it how to qualify a client, and uh, no one to hold them, no one to fold them, and no one to walk away. And I walked away from some big ones yeah. because uh, there's a lot of reasons.
0: Yeah. That's so good. Well, thank you for your time today, Fred. We'll, we'll make sure to post the links and get those videos in there for our listeners. And uh, I, I hope that you have a great 2020, especially as you sign that contract with the, the pilot episode.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Thank we'll,
0: you. We'll look forward to seeing Fred Ashman on the, the pilot or a, a new series out there.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Have a great day and leaders stay healthy. We will talk with you soon.